You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Peter King joins us now in the Bud Light guest line. Bud Light, easy to drink and easy to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us here, Peter. It was a pleasure to see you in the press box this past weekend down at Levi Stadium. And what did you think of that game? Before we go on to what's next, what did you think of the way the 49ers were able to get past the Cowboys? Oh, you know, when I left the press box, it was great meeting you there, Damon. Um, when I left the press box that night to go down to the locker room, I just had the weirdest thought. I I thought that this was a really interesting game. It was a very different football game than uh, most games are these days in the NFL. <clears throat> you know, it was a survival match on defense. <clears throat> but just the weirdest, a couple of weird thoughts. Number one, the Dallas Cowboys are not a smart football team, period. You know, I can reel off six mistakes they made at crucial times by plays that are not very smart, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> but the other thing I thought, how strange is it to think, that if I were starting a franchise right now, I'd rather have Brock Purdy be my quarterback than Dak Prescott. And that sounds totally, absolutely insane. But that's the way I feel. And, you know, I just, I came away from there, <clears throat> you know, and look, I think this is amazing when you think about it. Dak Prescott now has played eight games. He's played 7.9 games. I mean, he came in. You know, six minutes or whatever into the game against Miami. So he's basically played eight games. In eight NFL games, Brock Purdy has not fumbled the ball. He hasn't only not lost a fumble, he has not fumbled the ball. And he's only thrown three picks. He is the perfect quarterback for a team that has a defense like the San Francisco 49ers. That's why Brock Purdy is going to be the opening day starter at quarterback, regardless of what happens on Sunday or beyond. Um, given the fact that you said uh, Sunday was a a huge defensive slog, uh, what can you take from that game and apply it without doubt to Sunday's game? What is it that you saw Sunday that tells you I will see that again in Philadelphia. Well, number one, maybe not offensive explosiveness, but at least offensive efficiency. And number two, um, I think that defense always plays, you know, at any time of year in any sort of weather. And... You know, the 49ers defense is going to play in this game. I think the one thing that <clears throat> would concern me if I were the Niners is that their 
coming into these playoffs, there wasn't a defensive front much more dangerous than the New York Giants. I know people roll their eyes at that, but you know, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, and Kayvon Thibodeau were playing great. They played great at um, at uh, uh, Minnesota. And the Philadelphia line, you know, I think this is amazing. Dexter Lawrence, who I voted first team All-Pro this year, who had had eight pressures the previous week in Minnesota, had zero pressures, uh, mostly engineered because of how great Jason Kelsey played. <clears throat> and Jason Kelsey is a little, obviously, he's a little fire plug of a center. You know, he's not a mammoth guy like a lot of, you know, these new wave interior linemen are in the NFL. Um, but he played a fantastic game. That I'm not saying that the 49ers aren't going to get any pressure or anything like that, but that line right now, the Philadelphia line, is the best line in football. And that's going to be a huge challenge uh, for D'Amico Ryans and for that, that defense as a whole, the defensive front, to be able to get pressure. Um, Giants got none, and or get very very little, and so that is going to be a challenge. I think the one other thing to watch for in this game um, is just the fact that I wrote about this the other day because I talked to Jalen Hurts after the game. His shoulder is still it still hurts. I'll be the least surprised person on the planet if two weeks after this season we see a little. Dispatch out of Philadelphia saying that Jalen Hurts is going to go have a cleanup procedure, a surgical procedure to clean out something in his shoulder. Um, you know, you're not still in pain five weeks after something like that happens unless there's something wrong. So, I mean, and again, look, I, I don't, I don't know this, but I mean, my experience covering quarterbacks in the NFL is that. A lot of them get little things cleaned up after a season. I bet he's going to have to do that. But the only thing that means for this weekend is that I would be surprised if offensive coordinator Shane Steichen and Coach Nick Sirianni dial up a, a lot of bombs uh, for um, you know for Jalen Hurts. Peter King with us on ninety-five-seven. The game. I think two things need to happen. They're going to have to get pressure on Jalen Hurts when he's looking for that bomb play. And this can't be one of those, yeah, we saw Nick Bosa, but it was sort of a nuanced game. You know, he created pressures and he took up a few blockers, which made, I think Nick Bosa needs to be Nick Bosa this week for the 49ers to have a good chance to win. And I just think McCaffrey and Mitchell have to be everything you'd ever want out of a two-headed backfield because the one thing the Eagles do seem to give up is a little bit of a rushing attack week to week. And and that's where the Niners, you know, Nick Bosa playing like a defensive player of the year, nothing to interpret, but a physical presence that shows up in the stat sheet and to the naked eye. And then McCaffrey, Mitchell, and Debo coming out of that backfield. I, I, I think these are, are must-haves for the 49ers to win this game. You know what I think could work against the Eagles? Um, the little jet motion that they run a lot with Debo. Um, I think that Philadelphia has been victimized by that a little bit this year. Um, and, 
they've got a very interesting defensive front. Okay, they had eight players on that defensive front, all the way down to thirty-five-year-old Brandon Graham, play at least twelve snaps in that game, and that is one heavy rotation. But the interesting part of that is that you say, well, how important can Brandon Graham be? Well, one, he had his first double-digit sack season of his career this year at age 35. Two, he sacked Daniel Jones in the fourth quarter of that game the other day. So obviously, you know, the roster put together by Howie Rosen and managed by defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon understands how to get something out of all of these defensive linemen. That's going to be something that I think, you know, the Niners did not play the Eagles this year. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch how you adjust. It's not going to be a, you know, a lot of teams sub a lot on the line. But to have eight players to plug and play on a defensive front consistently during the course of of the game where there's going to be a lot of change-ups in that lineup. I think it's going to be really an interesting thing to watch, and it'll be interesting to see how the Niners adjust to it. What's the one thing that the Eagles do that the 49ers will have the most trouble coping with, and what is the thing that the 49ers do that the Eagles will have the most trouble coping with? Um... The thing that the Niners will have the most trouble coping with, in my opinion, is uh, solving Jalen Hurts. Because, first of all, you don't think entering this game that he is going to be, he's going to be at full strength because his shoulder hurts and, and all that. And so you think, okay, we're getting this guy at a time that it's a good time to get him. Well, the Giants thought that, too, and he put up 38 points on him and could have put up more. Um, I think that his multiple ways of moving the ball when he, uh, when he, feel, when he feels like he has to run, he's going to run, and he's going to figure out a way to do this. He's done it all year against teams that are very good at stopping the run around the edge. So I think coping with everything that Jalen Hurts does uh, is going to be the difficult thing for the Niners to stop. As for what the Niners do, you know, you mentioned it a minute ago, Ray, and I think it's going to be really interesting to watch um, the the running game of the Niners right now. Uh, because it was interesting the other day, right? The you know the Cowboys were just an absolute brick wall, and then late in the game, you know they finally figured out, you know, let's alternate Elijah Mitchell with you know McCaffrey. McCaffrey didn't have his best day. I don't know who was going to have a good day against that front. They all look like they're six eight and three ninety. I mean, they're huge guys on that Cowboy front. So, and so I think that later in the game they did a smart thing. They changed it up, and and you know the physical player that Elijah Mitchell is, I think really did some good in that game. So, 
I I think it's going to be interesting to see what the running game of the Niners can do um, against that defensive front. It's a tough front to do anything on, but that would really interest me to watch. Piggybacking on, on Ray's question a little bit here, Peter King on Damon and Ratto, Nick Sirianni. What is he best at as a head coach? What might be a blind spot for him early in his career? I thought it was really interesting the other day. I asked him about this after the game. Remember the, you know, he ran down the field late the first half, uh, and he was going to call a timeout. It looked like when the 49ers were choosing whether to go for one or two late in the half. And he turned to the two alternate officials who were on the field because it's legal for a head coach to leave the coach's box and to run down the field to do one of two things, to either call timeout or to throw the challenge flag. He knew that. He knew what the rules were. He wasn't going to stand down there for any length of time. He just went down there to get the attention of an official and, and, to, and to make a call. And when the official told him, Coach, you got to get back in your coach's box. And Fox caught it. No, I don't. And he said, he said, yeah, I know the effing rules or whatever it is, he said. And I asked him about that, and he said, I know the rules. I know what I'm allowed to do. Don't tell me I can't be out of the coach's box. Don't do that. And he was adamant about it. And so what I think his players like about him, quite honestly, I think his players believe that he's going to fight for him, And I think his players really, really like that. Not that uh, maybe Doug Peterson wasn't going to fight for him, but he's a little pugnacious. And I think that is, is something that's good. Now, as far as the other side of it, I don't think we know him well enough for me to pick one thing out to say here's a weak spot that they can go at. I just don't. I don't. I, I think he delegates, you know, because both of his coordinators are deeply involved in managing the game, you know, and I think he's happy to delegate. He trusts Shane Steichen on the offensive side. He really trusts Jonathan Gannon on the defensive side. So I don't sense that that there's an Achilles heel that has surfaced yet either in something like clock management or anything. I think he's I think that chapter is still yet to be written on uh, Nick Sirianni. He's you know, for a guy who's accomplished what he's accomplished, we really don't know anything about this guy. Since and just... I think that's been you know, that's been kind of interesting to be a, a coach in Philadelphia and people really don't know who you are yet. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Since you just brought up the phrase clock management, it's one of the things I was going to ask you, or maybe it wasn't going to happen, but you brought it up. I, it's the one job where I swear to God I could step into an NFL building and be as good as whoever is the best at clock management in here. Like, to me, 
I, like I see clock management like the Matrix. Like I, I think I could really nail it and be better at it than a lot of NFL head coaches are. And you could say, Damon, that's ridiculous sports talk arrogance. Maybe it is. I don't know. I feel like it's the one thing that I could do better than NFL coaches. The 40 seconds blown by the Cowboys just deciding to punt. Like what is going on there? All right. Are we going to be looking at clock management coaches in this league in the next year or two? Because there I keep- are some, there are some already, and there are guys upstairs who call down. You know, the Titans have one. Um, I feel pretty. I, I'm pretty sure that most teams have them. That they do two things: they decide clock, they give advice on clock management, when to use their timeouts, and they also give advice on. Uh, you know, on the challenge flag. So most teams have it. I Look, the Cowboys did two or three things in that game that I just said, if I'm Jerry Jones, and look, I don't know what happened in Dallas today, but Jerry Jones canceled his uh, normal uh, talk, uh, radio show appearance in Dallas. Stephen Jones, his son, the team president, also canceled his appearance. It could be that they are anguished by this and didn't want to say something that they didn't they didn't want to say. <laughs> you know, it also could be that they're thinking oh, Jerry Jones is on the other side of 80 and there's Sean Payton out there. He's always wanted to hire Sean Payton. Could he be giving serious consideration right now to upsetting the apple cart and saying, damn it, I'm going to pay Sean, million, Sean Payton $18 million a year to come in uh, and get this team over the top and to try to save Dak Prescott. I thought it was an inordinately uh, disturbing, and I know that sounds bad, but I, Dak Prescott played a disturbing football game. And just imagine if Dre Greenlaw hang onto that ball with 41 seconds oh, left in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah. First of all, it would have been 26 to 12 as final. And I can tell you, I know, I mean, I've been covering this league for 39 years. I know what happens in Dallas. Okay? And uh, there, somebody's head would have been on the chopping block, you know, after a play like that. It's, it's phenomenally... I just can't believe how Dak Prescott played the other day based on what we all saw Monday night. It just, it's crazy. Yeah, can I tell you the one other thing that bothered me that I've not read one word about? This drove me out of my mind. And that is that with 49 seconds to go, Cavante Turpin, the guy who made the Dallas Cowboys based on two touchdown returns against the Chargers in a preseason game, uh, the ball was punted to him. He was standing at his own nine-yard line, and he caught it with the fair catch signal. And there was nobody on top of him. And I just am sitting there watching and saying to myself, "Dude, you were on this team for one reason—to hit a home run on a play like this." And you know what? In the NFL, punts don't get returned by themselves. You have to actually do it. And I thought that was just inexcusable. I, there was a lot of things that the Cowboys did. That's just, that's not it's not a smart football team. Period. 
I was going to ask you about the other side of the bracket, but I want to ask one more question about the Cowboys. And specifically about whether Jerry Jones would hire somebody like Sean Payton and give him the run of the building. Because I've always sort of perceived that as the big stumbling block to getting the big-time expensive coach in Dallas. Is that hey, I don't think Sean Payton wants to control everything. He had a general manager in New Orleans, Mickey Loomis, who he worked with forever, along with a fantastic personnel guy named Jeff Ireland. He, Sean Payton wants to coach the team, and if he can trust the personnel management side, he's fine with it. He doesn't have to shoo Jerry Jones into a corner. Now, on draft day, like, you know, Sean, uh, Mickey Loomis is not drafting somebody who Sean Payton doesn't want, period. So that might be a little bit of a change. Uh, that, you know, Payton, by the time they get to the draft, if Payton were Jerry Jones, there would not be the kind of problem that I think by your question you think could happen if he doesn't have complete control. Look at it this way, Ray. Bill Parcells worked for Jerry Jones for, what was it, three years? And when he left there, even off the record, he has told me over the years, I loved working with Jerry. Jerry Jones, for the most part, now he might be different with Dave Campbell, he might be different with Mike McCarthy, might be different with Jason Garrett. But if he's got a strong, powerful coach who he really believes in and really trusts, he's not taking a player in the draft or he's not spending a jillion dollars in free agency on a player that uh, the coach doesn't want. Okay, well then, I mean, I'm I'm not sure that I necessarily agree, but I don't have enough information to argue with you. So I'll ask about the other side of the bracket now. Yeah. There seems to be this two-day love affair with the Bengals as the best team on the other side of the bracket. Is that more recency bias or is there a sense that for all their wins this year, Kansas City didn't actually play the way you would expect the Kansas City team to play because they had so many games that were a lot closer than the opponent should be allowed to be? Well, I kind of disagree with you about Kansas City because the way I look at Kansas City, I view this season for them as a season of great triumphs. Um, they right now are 15 and three, and keep in mind that they lost maybe the most dangerous, threatening wide receiver in all of football before the game, before the season, and they replaced him with nice players: Marquez Valdez Scantling, Justin Watson, Juju Smith Schuster, Sky Moore. Okay, nice players, and you know what they did? They were better on offense. They were more efficient. Mahomes had a better year this season than he did last, by a lot than he did last year. And I, I so so I I give Kansas City a lot of credit. But but here's the issue, Ray. Cincinnati and Kansas City have met three times in the last thirteen months. Twice they've met in Kansas City. The Bengals have won all three games. Now, you might say, well, they won all three games, but each game they've won by a field goal. 
you know, which is like saying, well, you know, Tiger Woods only won that golf tournament by one stroke. Is he really better than everybody else? I mean, it matters to win close games. And so, to me, if Cincinnati wins this game this week, and, you know, and obviously they've got a good chance to do it, that'll mean that Joe Burrow, in a span of 13 months, will have won four road playoff games, which combined is how many road playoff games Peyton Manning and Joe Montana won in their career. (laughs) Now, obviously, this is a lot different. Montana didn't play a lot of road playoff games, obviously. But, you know, Joe Burrow is doing something now that is really, I think, impressive, borderline incredible. And uh, the Bengals are basically, they've got the biggest chip on their shoulder of any team left in the playoffs. We'll see if the Chiefs can knock it off. Yeah, if Eagles-Niners offers us the quarterback matchup that no one could have seen coming, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the, the, the Bengals and, and Chiefs offer us the quarterback matchup that was promised to us years ago. And it really is something else. How come the rules of science and medicine do not apply to Dak Prescott's high ankle sprain. That's normally a month-long injury for a mere you mean, mortal. You mean... You mean Mahomes, Mahomes. Excuse me, Patrick Mahomes. Pardon me, yeah. yeah. How... how uh, first of all, I thought he broke his ankle. They take yeah. him back, the x-ray. I obviously didn't see it. He gets back out there. I'm sure tore it all, all day, all night. But how can he just say, yeah, no doubt about it. The high ankle sprain that takes guys out for a month won't even have me sitting next week. I can't explain that, and I think some of it is modern, uh, you know, not medical science, but injectable science. I think that probably will have something to do with it. I don't know. But, you know, I think a lot of this, too, is the will of Patrick Mahomes, just like it was the will the other day of Jalen Hurts. There is something wrong with his shoulder, for sure. And uh, But he's decided that he doesn't care what it takes. He's going to play through it because you don't have many chances like this in your life. And I think Mahomes is the same way. Mahomes just feels, I've got six months to get better, and I'll be okay eventually. Um, but so, I, you know, I, I'm not sure heroic is the correct word or just high pain tolerance or whatever it is. But... Uh, Patrick Mahomes is one of those guys, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not really casting aspersions on anybody. I'm just saying that what's so interesting about football is that you have some guys who, you know, like Lamar Jackson doesn't play for six weeks after he gets what at the time was announced as a two to four week injury of a sprained knee ligament. And um, and Patrick Mahomes, uh, obviously, this is a probably a month injury, if if not more, and he just keeps playing. And again, I'm not. I, I am suggesting that there are a lot of people in and around football who have raised eyebrows about what happened with Lamar Jackson, and who knows if we'll ever know any more about that. But I just don't think that Patrick Mahomes is the kind of guy, unless the bone is sticking out, that, that he's not going to play in the game. You can say that's right, that's wrong, whatever, crazy, but 
That's just who he is. Uh, the big local news was that Charles Amenahue picked up a misdemeanor domestic violence. Uh, timing on that is terrible. Obviously, the accusation, what it implies, are are you know awful. We don't want to see. Uh, anyone abused, but no one was there. No one really knows what happened, and no one is going to know what the Niners are going to do until they do it. So, you know, it's it for teams who like to minimize distractions. That feels like a significant distraction because Amenahue might not have been a big part of this team at the beginning of the year, but he has been a big part throughout the playoffs and at the end of the year. I mean, you know, it was just three weeks ago that, or two weeks ago against Seattle that he was the key to their defense a couple of plays in that game. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously if they have to miss him for this game, it's going to hurt him. But um, you have to feel the team, too, that has to play by the rules of society as well. So we'll see. Uh, the other local news that sort of popped up, and it's more local or, or national conjecture than it is news, but Ian Rappaport you know, basically said, hey, if the Packers get the right package, they like Jordan Love enough to maybe be open for business on Aaron Rodgers. You buy that, and if you do, where do you think he might be sold? I mean, Adam Schefter reported that over the weekend that there was a significant chance he could be traded. Um, you know, you kind of round up the usual suspects. I always like to, to look and see what owner is the most desperate uh, because what owner, what owner will push for this the most. And, you know, I think right now the number one team would be the New York Jets. I don't know if Rodgers, you know, Rodgers, as Mike Florio pointed out tonight, could simply say, I'm not going to play for the Jets. So you owe me X amount of dollars. You could either give it to me for not playing or I could keep playing. Um, so I don't know what's in Aaron Rodgers' head right now. My feeling is that he's probably going to end up playing one or two more years. If I were the Jets, I'd offer a decent package. He's only $48 million on the cap combined over the next two years if he gets traded. His acquiring team would only have, it would only cost them forty eight million on the cap, which with some quarterbacks is less than they own for this coming year. So there's that benefit, but also how much you're gonna have to pay to actually get them. Two ones, one and a two, I don't know. Do you want to do that for a quarterback who might only play two years? That's the big question. But I do think the Jets are desperate enough right now to do something like that. Always good to have you on, Peter. Are you going to uh, Philly or Arrowhead? Going to go to Arrowhead this week. I've seen a lot of the NFC. I'd like to see a little AFC now. Always great to see you and have you on. It was great to bump into you at the press box again last weekend. Safe travels. Enjoy the barbecue. And we'll talk to you next week. Sounds great, guys. Thanks a lot.